the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 482, for Friday, January 3rd, 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab and Happy New Year. This is the show for the last eight and a half years and continuing into our uh, almost our ninth year. I guess this is our ninth year. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess we would be in our ninth year, but we're going to answer questions. We're going to solve problems. We're going to share cool stuff found. We're going to share tips. We're going to have a blast doing it and uh, and hopefully all spend the year learning things, not just this, this episode, but we'll spend the year learning great new things about the Mac and stuff that you learn. You're going to share with us and stuff that we learn. We're going to share with you. And, uh, yeah. Happy new year, John here. Oh yes. And, uh, and where it just barely just stopped snowing, uh, here on Friday morning in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, where, yeah, it stopped snowing. Um, John F. Braun. John F. Braun. So, uh, yeah. So uh, Storm Hercules, as you as you told me during pre-show is what this one was called. I, I missed that. But uh, but it makes sense, I suppose, or not. But uh, but you got hit by this one, too. We got about a foot, I would say, give or take. Eh, I'm not I'm not impressed. I, I measured <laughs> on, on my rear deck and it's like four inches. Oh, really? Well, did you get a lot of blowing? Because like my deck behind the uh, off to the side of the office or behind the office, depending on but my deck off the office here. Um, when I came over this morning, I noticed one end of it had almost no snow. And then the other end had like a foot and a half. So no, and we no. cleared it halfway through the storm. We got this. It was like a double waiver that we got up here. We got like a, uh, we had the we had some time off yesterday afternoon and then now it's back. But my real concern, John, is my four whatever p.m. flight today out of Manchester, New Hampshire, that I have to connect through Chicago and then get to myself to Las Vegas. So I'm hoping that I'm not going to spend the evening at O'Hare because uh, that's just not my idea of a good didn't, time. Didn't you learn anything from my nightmare in Philadelphia? I did. I you know, not the problem. No, Why would you transfer in? Well, dude, Chicago. actually, no. So here's the thing that I've learned about flying and I will share this tip. First of all, uh, Philadelphia, you never, ever want to connect through there. That's just a like a known fact, because if there's snow, perhaps in uh, in in the Himalayan mountains, they will shut down uh, Philadelphia. That that that's just a fact. But um in the winter, if I have to connect and I don't like to connect in the winter for obvious reasons with snow, but, um, but in the winter, if I have to connect as I do going to Las Vegas, cause there's very few direct flights from, from around here to Vegas, which is weird, but that's how it is. Uh, I basically have choices of Dallas if I'm flying American, which actually I'm not today. I guess I'm flying United, but, uh, I used to fly American a lot and I basically had choices between Chicago or Dallas. And I found that Chicago was far more reliable in the winter because they get that wind shear in Dallas and it totally shuts things down. Whereas in Chicago, I've landed and taken off in like heavy snowstorms. They know what they're doing there in Chicago. So I'm I, that part doesn't worry me as much, but it obviously does worry me, you know, because because there was this snowstorm. But we'll see how it goes. The part I liked about Philly. Uh, so the, the, the part I didn't like is that I had to sleep in the airport because right. they shut it down because it was a terrible snow and ice storm and they just couldn't get us off the ground in time. But they had these cool looking 
de-icing almost like robots. They almost look like uh, yeah, what do you call those big oh yeah robot things? But yeah, they have like professional de-icing things where they hop in there. And yeah, I mean it looks like a, a battle bot or something. And uh, yeah, they tried to spray us down, but no, we didn't make it off the ground. Yeah. yeah, kind of a nice airport. Otherwise, they got lots of you know art exhibits and you know fun things to look at. It's small though. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Um, yeah, so here we are. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, John. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody in the chat room. Uh, MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Um, Isn't that a bit presumptuous? What's that? I mean, I don't see what makes it so happy. I'm, I'm, I'm wishing you a happy New Year, John. <laughs> no, Is that better? I, I, I hope that you have a, a, a happy year. Does, does that sound better? Is that that put less of a burden on you? Yes. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to start your year stressed and stressing you out. Oh, that was weird. Uh oh, I'm getting all kinds of hopping and jumping here, John. Disc activity. I don't know. Oh, it's, oh, good. Time machine decided this was a good time to fire off a backup. We'll stop that. That's great. You still with me, John? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I heard a heard a crackle. I'm yeah, I'm sure you did too. I'm sure everybody did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, you know, what I want to do, John, is I want to start this show by talking about our first sponsor, which is Smile Software at Smile.com. Uh, sorry, I got that backwards. It's the name of the company is Smile, and they are at SmileSoftware.com. My apologies. And, uh, and today I get to talk about a whole family of products, and that is the PDF Pen family, John. This is a piece of software that, as I've said many times before, I couldn't live without. And it's one of those things where I am so pleased that this is a growing family. It's a thriving, growing family. Uh, and I don't just mean the folks over at Smile, but I do mean that. I mean this family of software because we started out with PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro. And those are the packages that you run on your Mac. And in a nutshell, PDF Pen is an super advanced PDF editing utility. Uh, it's an application you run on your Mac. You can read PDFs and you can reorder them. Okay. No big deal there. You can uh, paste in your signature. That's pretty cool. And something I do all the time. Uh, you can even store your signature inside it, uh, which is great. And that syncs with iCloud, which is important for other members of the family. Uh, and then you can, but what, what's really cool is you can edit text inside of a PDF with this. You just type your, click on your cursor and let it edit. If your PDF is not a text-based PDF, if it's say a PDF that originated from a scan of a document, you can convert the document to text within PDF pen. It's got an optical character recognition engine and the OCR engine then converts it. And then you can edit that text. It retains the formatting. Uh, that's what PDF pen on your Mac does. You can fill out forms and with PDF pen pro, you can even create your own PDF forms, which is really cool. And something I've done. I don't do that every week, but, uh, but certainly is a handy thing to have. You can export uh, your PDFs in word format. If you really want to do some editing, very cool stuff. So that's PDF pen and PDF pen pro on the Mac. And then the family grows and you've got PDF pen for your iPhone and you can do a lot of the same stuff there. You can make changes. You can put your signature on contracts with that iCloud synced signature that you did on your Mac. You can fill out forms. That's cool. 
Then they've got PDF pen for the iPad. You can do all the same stuff there on a, on the much bigger uh, screen of your iPad. And uh, you can you in fact, you, you can't just uh, you, you can, of course, send your signatures back and forth via iCloud. But you can also send PDFs back and forth via iCloud. Very cool stuff. Uh, and then now we've got PDF pen scan plus on the uh, iPhone and iPad. And that will use the camera in the devices to effectively scan a document. It brings it in. And what makes this unique is it can export it as a PDF uh, either in picture format or it can do the optical character recognition again and export it out with a text format, retaining the formatting, but inside a PDF, making it basically universally compatible. So check it all out. The best place to start is smilesoftware.com. That, that's where you can get the free trial of the Mac version uh, uh, of either PDF pen or PDF pen pro. And then, uh, and then yeah, obviously from there you can get links to their, uh, their locations on the app store, which is where you have to get the stuff for your iPhone and iPad. So that's PDF pen, the, the family, the PDF pen family from smile software, uh, all or from smile, <laughs> all at smilesoftware.com and a happy new year to them too. All right, John, let's move on and head to Andrew, shall we? Because I think we've we've got well, we've got a tip. You know, last year, I say last year, in one of the very recent shows, we were discussing. Um, what were we discussing? We were uh, discussing Touch ID, John, and the, and the problems and, you were having with it. <laughs> yeah, right. And the problems I was having with it. Yeah. Well, it turns out I'm not alone. And uh, Andrew says that uh, he says, I wanted to mention something I found for myself regarding using the touch ID on the iPhone 5S. I've heard of late. Many people like you mentioned difficulties and degrading performance while using touch ID uh, for myself. I've had great experience for the most part, but I noticed the inconsistent performance. It usually required me to touch the home button twice before it worked. Then a light bulb went on and I wondered if I was actually pressing my finger down with more force on the sensor than when I set up touch ID to begin with. So I began to use the sensor with the same pressure I set up the fingerprint with originally and noticed that I was able to open the phone on the first try seven times in a row. Now, I'm not saying this is the solution, just that I wondered if changing the amount of pressure you use on the Touch ID sensor uh, after initially setting it up would change the fingerprint enough to cause some inconsistency. So that's it. That's an interesting thing, because if if you notice how much you how much pressure you put on when you're um when you're waking your phone up, as opposed to that process, we all go through where we're tapping and lifting and tapping and lifting and tapping. You know, we're tapping and holding is what we're doing. And Apple tells you to tap and hold when you do the, the you know, the, the setup. But um, but so that's a yet another solution or another thing to add. And I've I've actually been having good luck since doing this when this email came in uh, a week or two ago, as well as um, I set up two entries for each of my thumbs so you can have five entries in total so i have two for my left thumb and uh, two for my right thumb and i can see when i go in there and uh you know if you go into what is it general or settings general touch id and passcode and then touch id it lists all of them at the bottom and you can rename them by hitting the edit in the upper right and so i know which ones were which and uh as you hover your thumb or put your thumb on the button on that screen, it will highlight the one that it recognizes. And uh, and what's interesting is 
my right thumb is almost a wash every now and then I can get it to recognize, but my left thumb works almost all the time, but it's bouncing back and forth between thumb one and thumb, or, you know, left number one and left number two. So, uh, so having the multiples in there has been, uh, saving me quite a bit. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm living with here, John. You, I rare every one in 10 times, maybe it'll, you know, do the, the shake head shake and, and yep. I have to do it again. Huh? Good for no, you. No, I just use regular, regular, you know, I don't, I don't even, I, I never even thought of that aspect, but I don't press down. I mean, I just, yeah, rest my thumb lightly like I normally would. L- lucky you. Lucky. I guess so. Or I got yeah. good fingerprints or something. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe all that time I spent dipping my thumbs in hydrochloric acid as a kid uh, is a bad thing. <laughs> I don't, don't try this at home. That's kids. right. Use use nitric instead. Wait, what? Nitric acid. What's it? Why is that better or worse? Oh, no, I, th- I think it's uh, actually more. Uh, uh, more uh, it does more of what an acid does. I forget the other one that was really dangerous, but we, we, we're, this isn't chemistry. It's not. I loved chemistry. That was one of my favorite classes. I did have to break out the soldering iron this week, John. I, although I used I fix it. So we all know I fix it. As the website for, um, uh, you know, for getting your not only your tools, but also even better for getting your instructions for how to take apart all your uh, your iOS and, and, and Mac gadgets. Right. So if you got to repair something or replace a hard drive or whatever, you go to iFixit and you can download the instructions. Well, we have this washing machine that uh, was having this constant error. And uh, like in the middle of a load, it would just stop. And we had to like bang on the control board or reseat a bunch of the connectors on the control board. And then it would start up again. But it got to the point where it was doing it like five times in a, per load. This was, you know, at the point of needing to be replaced. And I didn't want to spend whatever, you know, five, six hundred bucks to replace it. So um, so I started searching for this error online and found that it indeed was bad connections to the control board. And a lot of people. And it, one of the articles, uh, one of the better ones was on iFixit. People were saying, oh, take the control board out and uh, uh, you, you might see some broken solder joints or touch up the solder joints on these four relays and also kind of add some solder to each of the edge connectors to, to beef those up. And so I did it. And uh, and the things run like five or six loads since then. And it's been totally fine. But I did find one. It, you know, we've got one of those uh, front loaders. So it, it's got a real heavy drum in it and it shakes the living daylights out of itself. And I think it just shook one of these relays loose. And because uh, we had two, there were two like completely open solder joints. I don't know how the thing ever ran with the way it was. So, so I fix it, not just for your Mac and the Apple stuff. Fun. Huh? Wow. I wonder if it was a vibration or temperature. Or I'm a- sure it's vibration. There's not that much temp inside a washing machine. You know, and and yeah, this for con- a solder joint to come loose. I mean, that, uh, yeah, I guess vibration will do it if it's a marginal, yeah, soldering job. I, I think <laughs> that's the. I think that's the problem. Is it was you know this this factory done very light soldering job, and uh, and so yeah, but yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, this relay was almost coming out of the board. In fact, it has it had four leads in, and two of them were completely open i have no idea how it ever actually worked but maybe you know maybe it just touched as uh, from gravity or i don't know whatever but yeah so good stuff well, I'm, I'm quite proud of my uh, my mad soldering skills john i think you would have been proud of me uh 
You know, it, it, it always fascinates me that we get questions in that sort of go on a theme. And, uh, and we have a couple on, on a theme today, and we'll start with Mike. Mike says, you guys have talked several times about how you, Dave, keep your iTunes and your wife, Lisa, keeps her iPhoto libraries not on your laptops uh, or even on your computers. Just how you manage the workflow for new songs, pictures, etc. when not connected. I've started using Aperture just to keep the originals unmanaged so the library can live on my laptop. Do you automate uh, merging and copies when returning from trips, etc.? This whole topic is rich for better understanding uh, and some serious workflow stuff. Okay, yeah, you're right. So uh, for iTunes, so I we do we store our iTunes libraries on the um, Synology Disk Station, but it could be on any network drive. Uh, and then also our iPhoto libraries we store out there. Now we use them a little bit differently. So for iPhoto, uh, I had stored iPhoto on. Uh, sorry. Let's start with iTunes. I had stored iTunes on uh, my Drobo FS when I first got it, but the the slow access times of the FS drove me away from doing that. Um, that's no longer an issue with the 5N or, or the Synology stuff. So I, I could go back to that, but my current workflow with iTunes is this. I store iTunes on the one terabyte drive that's in my iMac in the office. Um, but... I want to have it shareable to my Sonos, whether or not my iMac is awake. I want to have it shareable to everybody else in the house, whether or not my iMac is awake, et cetera, et cetera. And I also like to use Synology's DS audio app. So what I do is I have a data backup from ProSoft. Do a backup twice a week uh, of my iTunes library from my computer in the office to my disk station. Now, I could just point my iTunes library at the disk station. I'm constantly connected to it over the network. It wouldn't be a problem. I just haven't bothered to go there yet because there's no uh, there's no real reason to. Um, no. Go ahead. I just want to clarify because uh, do. My, my setup is simple, though, though I'm I'm starting to do some of this, too. But um, so when you say iTunes library, I think what you're really saying is the folder that is normally um stored in your music folder yeah i should so. say my itunes media folder right because the okay. library the library file is actually stored in my home directory on my mac but i've i've gone into itunes into settings and pointed i guess it's in advanced and i've pointed the media folder over to um in this case the the uh, external drive or the, the secondary drive on my imac but uh, but i could just as easily point it to the network location that that does work mm-hmm no, it's good. And data backup, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking, you know, we talk a lot about um, cloning and all of that and use carbon copy cloner and, and uh, or, or um, super duper or things like that. But if you want gr very granular control over a backup job or even like this, which is a sync job, really uh, data backup from ProSoft does a fantastic job. And uh, and so that's that's what I use for this. And, uh, and it works, it works great. I'm, you know, no problem with it at all. So and it makes it very easy. Like I said, I have it do it, uh, whatever, twice a week, I think. Um, so, and, and then that, that, you know, then syncs up with, with Sonos and all that other stuff. So, so that's, that's how iTunes is done. Now we don't, there, there is no, um, 
there, there is no, um, uh, uh, what call it? Um, uh, uh, I might, why am I having trouble? Well, why I'm having trouble is because I can't find a link on ProSoft's site for data backup at all. Did ProSoft sell data backup, John? Huh? Good question. Cause I'm not finding it. Uh, which is odd. Right. I mean, I, I'm running it and it is ProSoft's version that I'm running, but I don't see it on their website. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. There it is. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I got it. Okay. I just wasn't looking. Okay. So back to iTunes. As far as iTunes goes, there is no way really to truly sync iTunes libraries and have multiple people accessing one and adding to one and all that. So we just add every, I add everything on my iMac. And if, if my wife downloads a song or whatever, I just get that from her and then, and then uh, add it on the, uh, on the iMac there. So that's, that's how, that's how we deal with iTunes. Now I photo, uh, works a little bit differently and actually is a little bit easier because iPhoto is easier. It makes it easier to deal with multiple libraries. So we store our main iPhoto library on the disk station. And most of the time, if we're here at the house, uh, my wife, my wife does most of the photo management, but she will connect and work on the iPhoto library directly on the disk disk station over the network. And it's, you know, it's plenty fast. In fact, in fact, it's way faster than if she were connecting to, say, an external USB or FireWire drive, because we get full gigabit Ethernet speeds to the disk station. And the, the media on the disk station actually keeps up with those gigabit Ethernet speeds. So it's way, way faster and it, it works great. Um, you, you really don't notice that you're you're not managing locally other than maybe it's a little bit faster than than if you were. So uh, so that that part works fine. Uh, we, when you launch iPhoto, you can hold down the option key and you can do this with iTunes too, but iPhoto again, makes this a little bit easier and choose a different library. So we have our main iPhoto library, but then she also has a local library, if you will, on her laptop. If she were to take her laptop with her on a trip or something, she could work on, you know, the, the pictures that she took on the trip, save them to her computer. And then when we get home, she uses, uh, iPhoto library manager from fat cat software. And, uh, and, and that's, that allows you to take multiple or two iPhoto libraries at a time and copy files between them or move files between them and really makes that whole process super simple. So, uh, so that's, that's how we manage those. And that, that's how life goes for us with, uh, with that media. Yeah. Good. John. I think it's good. Uh -huh. I I have Yeah, I mean I've just started with the sharing thing. So Right. Actually I've done one thing you did. So normally so so my iTunes library is on my mini. Okay. But I recently copied, made a copy of it and brought it over to the um uh, Synology. Yep. Because they have a little uh which app is it? Audio um, station. Audio station where that will then appear as a uh, if you start up iTunes on another machine on the network, it'll come up. Oh, that's as, not audio station. That's a different thing. But yes, you can run you can run an iTunes server from your from your disk station. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've done that. So that's kind of neat. But mm -hmm. uh, as for my photos, number one, I'm on Aperture. I'm not sure why you're not on Aperture. 
Uh, we use Aperture, but we've standardized on the iPhoto library format so that we can use things like iPhoto library manager and and do all that stuff. So it's it's um, so we use the iPhoto format and can use Aperture or iPhoto interchangeably. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually, that's a nice I'm trying to remember. I think they did that a couple of years ago, they did. maybe a year ago or maybe a couple of years ago. But yeah, that yeah, it used to be that they were incompatible. But now both programs can access the uh, the same library, which I think is nice. But, uh, oh, okay. All right. So, so, all right. So you use iPhoto and, and, uh, well, I guess you guys use whatever. Yeah. We use, whatever's appropriate at we, the time. Yeah. 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 For the, you know, for the importing of pictures and all that stuff, I, I'm pretty sure Lisa still uses iPhoto because it's what she, she's always done, but we have aperture on, on, on both the computers. And if we need it for whatever reason, it's right there and, you know, we can use it. So. Yeah. What I would say, though, to add to that. So so one thing that I you know, did recently, um, you know, I was trying to decide on and I think this falls into the conversation here. But all right. So, so you got a one library and that's great. But um, the other thing, of course, you want to consider is, uh, you know, other places you want to publish this stuff. And I would say that most of my stuff that I'd like other people to see, um, I also have on uh, Flickr, which is nice because they, uh, last I checked, have uh, one terabyte of storage. So that should hold most people's, <laughs> almost everybody's uh, photo library. And I'll, you know, sync it with, uh, which you can, uh, yeah, last I checked, iPhoto can do this too. Absolutely. Of course, sync your, uh, you know, sync with uh, your Flickr account, which is nice too. You can publish either full resolution or, you know. Yeah. But it also acts as a good backup just in case something terrible happens. Right. 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 Cool. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll stick with the topic here and, uh, and let John, not you, unless you have a question, but we have listener John queued up with a question unless, uh, unless you've got something else here. No. Let's, right. let's hit it. Hey, John and Dave, pilot Pete. JP here out in California using the iPhone voice memo app to record this question. Here's a good one. Do you, is it possible? I have a Dropbox and I'm, I'm a Mr. 500 megabyte user. I, I believe in it. I store all of my documents in it. So I have them at my disposal. It's, it's brilliant. I've never seen anything work better. Uh, than Dropbox in terms of keeping everything sunk up. I know you guys like sugar sink, but uh, is there a way that I could eliminate a Drobo in my life? Because I've had several. By moving my music and pictures folder to the Dropbox, that would still, the iOS, the Mac OS would still see it still use it but would access it in the Dropbox uh, meaning if I created an alias of it and left it where it's supposed to go and put the original folder in the Dropbox folder would the Mac OS see it and talk to it wouldn't that be brilliant if it did uh, just asking you because you're the experts and you are my heroes and friends, thank you much. Please cut me off. I'm, I'm babbling. <laughs> That's okay. We, uh, I know the babbling. And you're our friend too, JP. So uh, happy to help. So yeah, you could do that. You don't even need to do it with aliases. You could, as we pointed out before, 
point your iTunes media folder and or your iPhoto library to any location you want. And you certainly could point those at a location that's inside your Dropbox synced folder. But I'm not sure that's going to get rid of a Drobo for you because your Dropbox synced folder is just that a synced folder, meaning all the data still lives on your Mac as well. So if you were looking to spread the space around Dropbox, isn't going to help with that, but Dropbox will take these files and sync them to the crowd cloud. However, I would be, I, I'm not, I'm not certain that this is, um, this is the right solution for you. Um, I, I, I don't know. What, what are you, what are you, what are your thoughts on this, John? Well, is his goal, if his goal is to save storage space, which sounds like that was the goal. I, I, I I'm not sure. He didn't state his goal. Yes. But, but well, I, I said he wanted to give up. A, he wanted to, to abandon a, a Drobo. I think he didn't want to store it on, on the Drobo. That's what I thought he said. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. 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 But I, I'm not, I'm not sure if his goal was to use that as, as then a way to get this data to other machines. Uh, we've got, Brian Monroe saying uh, in the chat room that um, that the uh, that there, there's possible data corruption uh, issues with this. I'm not convinced that I iTunes would have data corruption issues. These are all just files. And the same is true of iPhoto. Uh, it, it, it's it, your Mac looks at it as a package, but Dropbox does not. Dropbox sees it as a as what it is, which is just a folder with a bunch of files. So. I'm not convinced you'd see a lot uh, of data corruption, although Brian Monroe in the chat room is saying you definitely would. Um, backups when doing anything like this are uh, are mandatory in my mind. But um, so um, but you but what you need to be careful of is that you're not having multiple machines. You, you don't have this file open on multiple machines. And that's true whether you store it locally and share the volume over you know file sharing or whether you store it on a network drive or like this whether you put it in dropbox it you know the the especially the iphoto package is only ever meant to be accessed by one user at a time so i think that's where brian monroe is going with this is is that data corruption is possible but data corruption is possible again with any solution where you potentially can have multiple people opening it in fact what lisa and i do here has a is 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 an opportunity ripe with uh possibilities of data corruption because if she were to open the uh iPhoto library on the on the network while I opened it uh or while I had it open uh, that would at, at best iPhoto would yell and say hey somebody else has this open that's best case scenario worst case is it lets us both open it and then things get totally um totally screwed up so, you, you know, you need to be careful of this. But if you're just using the Dropbox thing as a backup, um, you know, a cloud backup of your of your libraries, that's not such a bad idea uh, if you have the storage available on on Dropbox to to do that. So. So there you go. There you go. And I would say for the photos, so I was poking around online here and actually. So Dropbox does have an article. How do I copy my photos from iPhoto to Dropbox? 
think they have that article because it's kind of discouraging you from. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, to me, yeah. They so they have in the you know they added this a while ago, camera and uh, image integration. But uh, no, they had they have an article here that says, oh hey, you know if you want to uh, import stuff, it's actually I guess in the latest uh, in the latest app. There's a place where you can say import, and by the way, import from uh from my photo. Right. Right. Well, and and Dropbox has the whole photo sync camera sync thing going on too now, where it you can have it auto upload from your from your library. Um, right from your iOS devices um, and, and from your Mac too. I mean, you can, so you can, you can have it back up your stuff if that's the goal, but um, yeah, it, it, again, in any Dropbox aside, if you have the ability to have any of these things open on multiple machines, uh, you got to be careful because it, you, you know, that's where data corruption comes in. These, these, these programs are not built to be accessed by multiple computers simultaneously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's that. All right. I think, I think we've done well there, John. Let's, um, I stumbled onto this solution while, while researching uh, Tony's question. So we will, we will share Tony's question and the solution, which reminds us all of how Mavericks works. And, uh, and as we said in our last show, John, 2014 is the year we hope to see Mavericks gain some robustness. I do have to say, uh, mail has been working much better for me since I got rid of the all mail folder, uh, last week. I had to go through and erase, uh, my accounts from, from one of my computers and, and resync everything down. But, uh, but without all mail and I do have an archive mailbox on Gmail, that I expose via IMAP and that's where I'm storing all of my, my archives and it works way, way better. Um, so no more all mail exposed via IMAP uh, from Gmail and that my life seems to be better. How, how's Yahoo going for you as, as an IMAP provider? Uh, so, so far so good. I, I actually uh, redirected my, uh, ISP email to them instead of a uh, Gmail mm. that that seems to be working fine. When you say redirected, you're just doing a forward from your ISP. Well, you know, I changed to, to that, although both uh, Gmail and uh, Yahoo uh, offer a pop pickup solution. Yeah. Right. The other way to do it. Well, actually the other way to do it and I got to see if it's going to work out. Okay. Is that you actually got to build um, a filter Okay. So the filter that I have is, okay, if you see anything that's addressed to, insert email address, forward it. Hmm. Now, the only problem I have, so, so, so the rule I set up is saying, all right, if either to or CC equals, insert email address. Yep. <laughs> right, right, right. Then forward it to this other address. But what happens if you're BCC'd like on a mailing list or something? Well, that's where I got to figure out how to, how to deal with that. I may have okay. to come up with a, a different well here here's a solution rule. right what if you do can your rule then um tell it to delete the message or 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 save it outside of your inbox somewhere because if it can what you do is you say if two or cc contains you know insert email address here uh then forward to yahoo and delete message then uh, so that'll happen immediately. As soon as the mail comes in, it gets redirected out. Then you could have Yahoo do its pop check once an hour or whatever, however often it does it, to go and clean up and catch anything that that sort of 
falls through the cracks of that rule. Yeah. Or I got to look at the rules, uh, see if I can make a, a better rule. A, a more catch all kind of thing rule. Yep. Yeah. Well, like, for example, yeah, I forget on Gmail I did this is that there is a line in the header that's kind of obscure. That's almost always there. I don't know. Identify. I did. I don't have it in front of me. I'll, I know what I'll you're talking about. Yeah. The, the but, uh, but, X forwarded for right. Not X forwarded. Right. But, but there is a header that yes. X delivered to or something. Yep. I believe which is the email address of the recipient, even in a BCC that will show up. And so when I set up the rules on Gmail, I did that. Right. Um, but yeah, this is dealing with my ISP, which has a somewhat limited, more limited, limited uh, options. Yeah. set of rules. But yeah, no, you, 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 you hit exactly on it. I'm like, well, yeah, but what if it's not a two or a CC? Right. And we'll right. see. I mean, right now it'll just keep it in the box. So maybe putting, doing what you said, the, the thing is with both services, as far as I can tell, you can't schedule the pop pickup. It just kind of happens whenever it wants to. Right. 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 No, so far I'm happy. And I think I read, um, yeah, they also, well, because, you know, they're all kind of one big happy family now, but uh, their free email is also a one, I think one terabyte. It's funny because on their status page, they, you know, say you're using, I think right now I'm using like 0.3% and they're like, you can receive, uh, you know, 500 million more emails before right. you exhaust that. And I'm like, right. oh, good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm curious to keep, I'm, I'm going to keep checking in with you on this every, you know, maybe once a month because this this is curious to me. It's interesting. All right. Uh, on to Tony's. Thank you. On to Tony's question. He says, one of my favorite sites uh, is back in Chicago that updates me on my favorite hockey team. He says, the problem is that I can't play video from there in Safari. And he sent a URL. He says, I have the Safari extension click to flash installed, if that means anything, as well as flash to HTML5. They're both current versions. I searched and think I found that this plugin or whatever is uh, similar to something that happens on Android. He says the player seems to load, though no data comes through. The video also plays in Firefox and Chrome. No problem. So it seems it's yes, yet another example of people building a bias against Apple. Or am I reading this wrong? So I visited the URL and I got exactly the same thing. And I don't have click to flash or the uh, the flash to HTML5 plugin installed. So I had an idea. I went into Safari on Mavericks, uh, go to advanced, and I unchecked the box that says stop plugins to save power. And boom, as soon as I reloaded the page, the video played just fine. So something about the way that page is using Flash is causing Safari not to start the plugin at the right time. Um, however, Safari maintains a, a whitelist, effectively uh, a list of pages where you can tell it to always load all the plugins and bypass this feature. Um, but uh, but I couldn't find a quick way of adding that page to it. You, you kind of have the option um, on a page when it when it when Safari pauses one of these plugins, you usually see it right there on the plugin and you can click something that says just run the stuff on this page, please. Uh, I didn't see that on this page, but uh, but I don't know, maybe uh, maybe you would have better luck. Uh, John, do you know how to do you know how to manually add things to that whitelist in uh, in uh, whatchamacallit uh, in Safari think, in Mavericks? I think I do. Awesome. And it's not just Mavericks. It's also uh, it's latest oh, Safari, actually. That's true. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about. So that. Um, if you go to uh let's see safari preferences security 
And then you're going to see a button, manage website settings, dot, dot, dot. Okay. And then when you click on that, you're going to see a list of all the plugins on the left. And then you're going to see in the lower right-hand corner, you're going to see a pull-down when visiting other websites. And right now, mine is set to, at least for Adobe Flash Player, version 11.9.900.117. It says allow. Right. Now, you may want to change that to, uh, I think what you're asking, you may want to change it to ask. Okay. In which case, it's going to throw up a dialogue saying, hey, you know, are you cool for, you know, using this on this uh, on this website? Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. But again, it looks like it defaults to, well, no, that's funny. Actually, I'm looking at, you know what? They're all set up to ask. So I have a whole bunch of, I got Adobe Reader, Coupons Inc., sure. Divix, Emus. But oh you can't. Gosh, some of these are. Old. But you can't add from here. You can only remove from this screen. Right. What I'm saying is if you if you oh, change if you the when visiting other ask. websites. Ah, yeah, right, right, right. Then you can uh, offer a level of granularity. So, you, yeah, and I, yeah, that that has to be the default. No, maybe it's not because I'm looking at about uh, most of mine are uh, in the ask state. Yeah. But a couple are allow. Interesting. Which I think it'll just always let it fly through. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. That's weird, though, that it didn't play it, and you toggle that, and then, then everything was, uh, was great. Well, it, yeah, see, this is not the... That's the thing, is this isn't the security feature. This is the, the, um, the, the power-saving feature, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, I, I wonder, are the two related? Uh, maybe they are, but, um, but they may not be. They may be separate. So, I don't know. I... I don't know that there's a way to uh, to edit that whitelist, uh, and I'm not hearing anything from anybody in the chat room. So if anybody knows, uh, let us know, and we will share that. And then, uh, John, we uh, we get to uh, we get to talk about an- another one of my favorite apps, especially when I'm traveling. I wind up using this one as our second sponsor here, and it's from a company called Eurosmart. E U R O S M A R T Z. And uh, and the piece of software is one that we mentioned uh, a couple times before. It's called Altamail. And uh, as I said the first time when uh, when we mentioned it, it, this is don't take this the wrong way. This is a geeks email client. Um, it is uh, a separate email client for iOS and I use it on my iPhone. I have it there. Uh, and one of the things I love about it is I am someone like you, John. Right. We were just talking about filtering mail and you needed to know what one of those headers was in your email. Well, good luck seeing that on your iPhone, right? You can't, but with AltaMail, you can, you can see all the headers of a message, but that's, that's really not that. That's what I wind up using it for kind of as a, as, as it's, um, well, it's the only thing I have on iOS that lets me see the headers of a message. So I wind up using it for that all the time. But, uh, it has so many rules in, uh, available inside it. You can customize so many different things. It's crazy, John. Uh, y- you know, you were talking about forwarding mail, like auto forwarding and stuff. You're doing it on the server. You can certainly set up a rule in your Max Mail client to do that, but there's no way in the iOS client, the default Apple iOS client, to do it. But with Altamail, there is. 
And with AltaMail, you get to set up all kinds of different rules. You can have it auto file, auto forward. You can even have it auto reply with a template of your choosing. So if you get a message in that says, uh, you know, to maybe a, an address that if let's say you run a, a consulting business, right? And, and you have an address that your clients can email. Well, right on your iPhone, you can create a little template that says, uh, you know, hi and insert first name here. Uh, send off. Uh, a message that says I'm uh, at cl- on site with clients today. I'll be checking my email between noon and one. And then again, between three and four, I'll get back to you then. Right. And then your iPhone gets the message and sends this back and you can manage it all from your iPhone. And that way you don't have to try and figure out how from your iPhone to log into your webmail server to create your auto replies and all that great stuff. You can also have these templates at the ready so that when you're reading a message, you can say, ah, I want to reply with that template. Maybe you have a, you know, a, a standard thing. Uh, if, if you have a windows client, uh, a windows, you know, uh, customer rather who, uh, who, you know, emails you and says, my computer's doing something funny. Maybe you have a first line of defense email that you, you reply automatically with and say, first reboot your computer. Right. Then, uh, you know, maybe go to the Apple store, get a Mac. I don't know that maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't say that to your customer, but you could. And that's what Altamail lets you do. So, uh, it's very, very cool stuff. Uh, you can take attachments and save them and then reuse them. So if, like John, you sent me an attachment. I could save that inside Altamail and then create a new message and attach that attachment to it. I don't have to go back and find your original message. Um, it, it's got uh, customizable push notifications. You can file and view email by contacts just by tapping. Like if you sent me an email, I can tap on your name and uh, and it would find emails that you had sent me. And uh, very, very, very powerful email client, uh, truly a geek's email client. But but I don't mean that from the standpoint of a a uh, necessarily a technical geek. I mean it from an email geek. So email power user. Uh, this is you know, we, we talked about BusyCal as being iCal Pro when it came out now Calendar Pro. This is Mail Pro. Uh, so check it out. It's uh, it's all to mail from from Eurosmarts. And uh, obviously you, you can uh, learn about it or buy it uh, on the app store. It's five bucks, four ninety nine uh, US. But uh, but you can also um, you can learn about it and see some screenshots and all that good stuff at uh, at Eurosmart's website. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes, too. So thanks so much to Eurosmart's Eurosmart's for sponsoring the show as well. Good stuff. Uh, I like it when we get to talk about the apps that we use. All right, John. Speaking of solving people's problems and addresses and contacts and all that, we have we have another Tony to talk about, don't we? Oh boy! Yep. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me just bring that up here. T O N I. All right. Hey geeks, it's been a while since I needed your help, but <laughs> um. I pasted the text below from the console. This is just a snippet from the hundreds, if not thousands of lines that pile up until I get a dialogue box, dialogue box stating that address book sync suddenly quit. I have an iMac mid 2010 with an Intel i3 3.06 gigahertz processor, 16 gigs of RAM. I'm running Mavericks 10.9 build. Right now, 13A603. <laughs> I'll tell you how to find that in a moment. I'm into photography and I often have several apps running uh, Lightroom 5, uh, Photoshop Creative Cloud, Nick plugins, 
and so on. I do like to punish pixels, but <laughs> uh, Photoshop Creative Cloud and or Lightroom 5 slow down. Also, my RAM starts leaking. I start with about 13 gigabytes and it goes down to 3 gigs and free memory kicks in and my processor is 60 to 90%. That's when I start losing it. I've done Onyx maintenance permissions, rebuild preferences, delete caches, and uh, check the hard drive. Seems that there's an existing problem, but I have not found a solution on the intertubes. All right. Well, it sounds like we got two problems here, so I can try to solve one. But uh, looking at the, the trace messages here, so uh, in the console. So, uh, yeah, what caught my eye, Dave, was uh, the line saying... Let's see. Address book source sync. So that's the process, but card dav plugin error. Okay. Now, as soon as I saw that, um, my suspicion is that there may be a corrupt database here. And when it's trying to sync, the the data is in, in such a way that it eventually crashes or upsets this, uh, this process. The reason I say that is because they mentioned something here, and you may wonder, well, what the heck is it? Card dev. Well, that's the thing that caught my eye. So card dev is actually a standard uh, for representing address book data. So once I saw that, I'm like, well, that at least that's my best guess at what the problem is. And uh, if you want to clean things up there, the, here are the suggestions that I made. So, um, so it looks like the contacts or address book. <clears throat> It's funny because internally it's still called address book, at least all the folders and the system stuff. And yeah, it's right. on the console. Right. So it's called contacts. But it looks like it's having trouble syncing with iCloud. Oh, that's the other thing I mentioned here, iCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, in one of the trace messages it said, yeah, and, I can't communicate. iCloud does use card dev. Um, I, 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 I believe it does. It, uh, in fact, I'm certain it does. But you can also sync with, say, Google with card dev or an Apple contact server or you can set up your own open source card dev server as well. Right. And the other, but, but this one the other was line, iCloud. You're right. Yeah. Right. And the other line that caught, caught my eye is that it said, oh, I can't access this URL, which is HTTP. And then I believe that's their username. Yep. At PO4-contacts.icloud.com. And then some more stuff. Right. You know, that's a, uh, yeah. So that convinced me it's a uh, iCloud issue. So the first thing to do, the very first thing, since to me it sounds like some data somewhere screwed up, is make a backup of your contacts. Yes. And how are you going to do that? Well, fortunately, contacts will let you do this. If you're in contacts and you go to file and you go to export, um, there are two choices there. I would go for contacts archive. Um, and that'll create an archive where you could later import in case you destroy everything or everything gets destroyed. Sure. Or both. <laughs> Um, for good measure, though, you may want to back this up as well, Dave. So where is this data hidden? I'll tell you. you know, it's hidden in plain sight here. No, but it's in your home directory, library, application support, address book. And that's where all the data is stored as well. So you may want to do that just as a, just as a backup. A backup for the backup. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> because it actually contains the, the raw database files in, need, in, in case you need to pull stuff from there. Right, right. Um, then the next thing I would do, it could be, and I think you you recently had, yeah, well, you did. You you had. <laughs> it's funny how these uh, how we get a common thread with things here. One thing I would suggest is you may just want to turn something off and on again. And the thing yes. that I would turn off would be 
uh, I would unlink contacts from iCloud. And the way you do that is if you go to contacts and then accounts, or that's one way, mm-hmm. and then you go to iCloud, there's going to be a contacts box. So I would click on that. And at that point, you're going to get a dialogue that says, do you want to keep a copy of your iCloud contacts on this Mac? I, I would, I would, I would shoot a backup first. From, oh, well, that's what I said. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah sorry if I missed that. I just, I get yeah. nervous. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. But no, and then I, no, and then the I would it. say, because I think things may be screwed up is, so it gives you a couple of choices, delete from Mac, cancel or keep contacts. I would actually choose to delete from Mac. Yes. In case the Mac copy is messed up. Yep. So, um, maybe do a restart, you know, uh, have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a snack or something. <laughs> and then come back a little later uh, and enable the contacts item in iCloud. And maybe that'll reestablish the the data link and everything will be great. It might if not. Yeah. Now, if not, then the second thing I'd suggest, and yeah, now, especially you want to make sure to, did we mention making a backup of your contacts, Dave? <laughs> uh, we didn't. So please make a backup of your, con- of your contacts. Yes. Now, if you still get that error with that process, and the only other thing I could think, Dave, is, uh, and maybe, I don't know if you know if there's a better way to do this, but I would actually then perhaps whack all of your contacts. Um, and hopefully, if it's on the iCloud end, it'll clear that up and then re-import the data. Mm, from maybe your that's backup. the way to go. That's, a, that's another way to go. Yeah, it, it is depends there a on way where the corruption to reset? is. Yeah, the thing is, is I'm not aware of a nice way of resetting iCloud are, are you I th- I mean I think you could go into iCloud and and tell it to delete everything <clears throat> on the web well, sorry on that with, a, with a web browser yeah oh actually okay yeah I hadn't uh, suggested that, that that could be another one but it sounds to me and then you know if, if all else fails I think you know we've had people when it seems like their iCloud installation is all screwed up I suppose you could you know give Apple a call uh, assuming you have a you know support <laughs> incident um, or you want to pay for it. But I, I think they can do something to reset your, uh, yeah. your cloud too. Mm, I they, haven't had to contact they them. They can, but it often takes a major escalation to get that done. And even then it doesn't always work right. So, so yeah, it's not, yeah, it, that part's not perfect with apple all right someone said here one of the people in our in our oh my gosh chat room is jammed here it is oh it's all the people in the other part of the world right nobody here but uh keep it uh someone says that icloud does have a reset everything ah. i was not aware of that all right i i had i had tried that a while back and and did not have it uh do, do we have an idea as to where the iCloud reset everything <laughs> button is. I don't know. I mean, I'm okay. looking right now. I, uh, I, I don't remember seeing it, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's probably there. I mean, if Kiwi's saying it, I, I believe it. I just, I've never, I've never seen it, but, um, but that's why we, that's why we, uh, you know, have the, our whole community here because uh, that's the only way. So if I go into account settings in iCloud on the web and I go into advanced, I have reset documents and data and that says uh, reset and merge all documents and data on iCloud with what is currently on your devices. But that's just documents and data. I don't think that's everything, but it could be. 
then that may that may do it. All right. Well, we'll we'll come back. Uh, he's he's searching for it too. So uh, so we will come back to that. Uh, in the meantime, we do have Iannis. I believe I may well, be screwing that. Name. Well, you know, there was a second oh, question there, but I, I I I didn't really answer it because I thought maybe this was causing it. But then um, the other statement that was being made is I have a memory leak. Right. And free memory starts to wither away. I think <laughs> I at think at some it, point the, the system is is becoming unusable. And, you know, based on the, the, the programs that are being run, um, I'm not sure which, if any, I can identify as having a memory leak other than I don't know if Safari's gotten over its habit of, you know, slowly consuming all RAM. Well, you know, <laughs> mem- memory leak is is a term that's kind of bandied about um, for a lot of different things. A, a true memory leak is a piece of software or, or when a piece of software asks for RAM uh, and then doesn't release it when it no longer needs it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then stops uh, stops using it, but doesn't release it. So that's a memory leak, right? But in this case, it may not be that the the software is leaking RAM. It it could be, but it could also be that the software keeps using more and more RAM. If the, if your database is corrupt and it say the database keeps looping on itself um, and, and the software just keeps reading in more and more data, that's not necessarily leaking memory. That's just using memory because it believes there's data there to use it. Right? So, um, the, the way to look for that is to open up activity monitor and, uh, in, in Mavericks, go to the, you know, the memory tab and, uh, and take a look at, you know, the real mem usage. And that's going to tell you how much memory, uh, any given process. And you can sort by that to, to see how much memory is being used. Uh, that, that will tell you at least which process it is and, and, and if it is related to this sync, again, it may not be leaking RAM in a technical sense. It may just be using it because it 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 never runs out of data to read into RAM. Um, but that that in and of itself kind of indicates that corruption that, that we were mentioning earlier. So, yeah, I think it probably is related. All right. Quick one from Iannis. I am an Ioannis. I don't, I'm sure I'm screwing the pronunciation up. My, my apologies says uh, many greetings from cold London. Well, greetings right back at you. Uh, I need to back up my iCloud documents. I want to be safe in case of a potential iCloud data corruption. Uh, Is there an easy way to do this? I know I can open each keynote file pages file. It's separately, uh, et cetera, separately and et separately. I like that. That's that's we're going to we're going to make that a merged word here in 2014 uh, and save them outside iCloud. But I was wondering if there's an easier way to batch back up everything saved in iCloud. And there is um, if you go on your Mac into your home folder and into library, which if you don't have it visible, uh, you can uh, go to the go menu with the option key down and pop it up there. So uh, if you go into the uh, the home folder. Oh. And I just lost my uh, I made something quit here, John. So I, I lost my trail, but uh, home library. And I believe the uh, folder is going to be mobile documents. Uh, inside that is everything that is syncing to iCloud. In fact, once you open that folder, you will see that the name in the finder at the top is it doesn't say mobile documents. It says iCloud. Um uh, 
And you can see here, you know, it's going to have an entry for every app that's got data out there. And the Apple ones are com tilde, Apple tilde, and then either notes, numbers, pages, preview, keynote, etc. cetera. Uh, and you can back those up from here. Um, you can, and you can open each of those folders and see inside them if you, if you so desire, but, um, but that's where, and they, and they'll have names, uh, that match what you're used to seeing. Typically, uh, sometimes they'll have weird temp, you know, kind of hashed up names, but, but for the most part, it's, um, it's going to have the names that you're used to seeing inside the documents folders there. So you can, you can back those up either individually by folder, or you could back up the entire mobile documents folder, this folder. And I have to say, I don't recommend using it this way. However, you could currently, this folder is kind of like Dropbox in that anything in this folder is synced to all of your uh, Macs and accessible from all of your iOS devices. So, uh, and we've talked about that before where you can kind of come in here and if there's a problem, you know, we had a problem with uh, my son's iPhone. We talked about editing the uh, com tilde Apple tilde text input folder and saving a, a, a an iOS crash that was happening. That that kind of thing is editable this way. But you could also put your own stuff. You could create a, you know, I could put a Dave folder in here and put stuff in it and it would be on all my Macs. No guarantees that Apple's not going to wipe that out, but uh, but you can do that. So, yeah, from any Mac, you can you can back this folder up. So hopefully that hopefully that addresses that particular issue. I think uh, there's one more. Go. Um, library synced preferences. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, right, right. That's very you're in terms of all the data that's stored on iCloud. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Ianis was looking for for pages and numbers files. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. where those are. But no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yep. I wonder if there are more. We're seeing, yeah, synced preferences. Mm. No, yeah. I think that's that's about it for now. Yeah, yeah, synced preferences with no space there, but yeah, that's that's synced amongst it too. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, on to uh, Terry. Terry asks, I have a VHS tape of old home movies which we have successfully copied from VHS, VHS to DVD, and we can play the DVD on the computer and on a DVD player. Now my family wants a copy of the DVD for their own libraries. I tried using Disk Utility to copy the DVD. It didn't work. I then tried using Handbrake, uh, and which makes a file which I can play on the computer, but when I copied that to a DVD, that also didn't work. I downloaded Mac DVD Ripper Pro and used the trial, and that worked, ripped and burned, but I need to burn 20 copies of this. I can buy Mac uh, DVD Ripper Pro and do them one by one. But is there an easier way? Is there a way Handbrake can burn to DVD? Okay, so this is interesting. Yeah, Handbrake does not create DVDs. Handbrake reads DVDs and, as you found, turns them into files. Uh, and you can control the format somewhat of those files and, and how those work. But really what that's built to do is take copies from your DVD library and put them on your Mac. And that, that's what I use here. We, when we get a DVD, we rip it with handbrake and put it on the disc station so that we can then watch it with Plex or I could sync it with Plex to my iPad and, uh, you know, watch it on the road and, and all of that or watch with Apple TV, however we want to do it. Uh, so that's what handbrake is for. But handbrake does not burn DVDs. In fact, it, it sort of goes the opposite direction. 
Now, I'm, I'm curious why disk utility, why you had trouble with disk utility, because I went through almost exactly the same thing. We didn't go from VHS to DVD. We went from eight millimeter to DVD. My grandfather had a bunch of old movies uh, as he was traveling around the country and, uh, you know, putting in those machines and, and all that stuff. Um, uh, so he so we wanted to to have the uh, the machines. Uh, I'll explain for those of you that don't know, my grandfather was the one that, you know, those, those machines at the tourist traps that, that uh, sort of oval shape that you put a quarter in. Now it used to be a dime and you binocular viewing machines. My grandfather uh, invented those and was involved in selling them and putting them in uh, all over the country. So he had these great movies from, from early, you know, uh, the thirties, forties um, and the fifties. So, uh, so we had those converted to DVD and same thing happened. My family wanted copies of these. So, what we did or what what I did and my brother did it, too, was we took the DVD, put it in the computer, went into disk utility and go to the file menu, choose new, choose disk image from X, where X is the DVD that you're talking about. And then in that window, you you type where you want to save it, where you want to save it. Uh, but you can choose the image format and encryption. And from that, I chose DVD slash CD master uh, and encryption none and then saved the thing. And it goes through the process of pulling everything in from the DVD and saving it to the disc. Once that was done, then I'm able to take that image and burn it back to a new blank DVD. Uh, and obviously the same would work with a CD if you had initially ripped a CD. So um, so that's how you would do that in disk utility and and. Like I said, I mean, if I had to do it and I did, I would use disk utility and I did. So uh, I think that's going to work for you. I'm not sure what path you took through disk utility, but hopefully this path will get you there. And that's that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. As you should. <laughs> I know that's good. Because, I mean, the TV, I mean, the only thing that makes a DVD a DVD is really the structure of the files that are stored on it <clears throat> and the format of the disk itself. Right. Right, right. Rather, it's single layer, or dual layer, and stuff like that. But yeah, if, uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's articles that can tell you all this. But I think you know, it's video underscore ts and audio underscore ts are the top level directories. And if those are there, then you know everything should be yeah, everything should be great. Yeah, I just did. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, Dave, because I just did this. So I had a, a DVD that I had to bring back to the library, but um, I hadn't yet watched it, um, and it was non renewable. So I'm like, oh man, what am I going to do? Oh, well, you know, broke out handbrake. <laughs> <laughs> right. Spit it out to a file, um, put it on the Synology, just like you. And uh, yeah, the movie in question was uh, Jobs, by the way, which uh, I thought was OK. Now, of course, technically, you're supposed to uh, now delete that now that you've watched it and honor your rental agreement. Yeah, just, which I will. We'll leave it at that. That's right. It, it I, does need to be. I, I don't say I have a desire to keep it in my library. I mean, it was an OK flick. Sure. I don't think it was great. I don't think it was terrible. It highlighted you know, important moments, uh, sure. With Steve jobs and, and company. And <laughs> now you need to keep the, um, keep in mind when, when you're, if you, you, you mentioned offhandedly, John, that you need to have a video TS, a video underscore TS and an audio TS underscore folder, uh, you don't need the audio underscore TS folder, but the video underscore TS folder is mandatory for a DVD player to read it. 
That's true. But if you format the DVD in the wrong format, and it's not just dual layer or single layer, but if you were to say format it as HFS plus, that would not work. You need to format it as UDF file system. Uh, and then right. you, then you can create your video TS folder and put all the right things in it. And we'll, we'll link to a, a Wikipedia article that, that explains all that. I just, I didn't want to get too deep into it that no, I think we're, we're done there, but I just didn't want to glance over it with. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, no, I right. forgot that. Yeah, yeah. Because that's like a generic format that any computer should be able to. Correct. Yeah. To read, including yep. a DVD player. Including no, no, that's a, a, that's, a <laughs> that's a good, that's a good point. That may be why it didn't work. Cause yeah, it was like, well, what's this? I don't understand. Right. If you just, if you put, oh, that's a good point, John. If you put the disc in and just copied the files off of it, DVD player, the app would read it. You can take the DVD, the video TS files off of a DVD and, and put them on your Mac and, and it'll read it. As long as that DVD didn't have copy protection. If it did, then that won't work. Um, handbrake as John uh, offhandedly pointed out, will bypass the copy protection. If you also have a piece of software called the VLC installed on your computer, um, then it will result in that. But with your home movie, you don't have copy protection, presumably. So you can just do that. But if you then burn that back to a DVD again in the wrong format, then you will have a problem. It needs to be UDF format. But if you do the DVD CD master thing that, that we originally described, that will deal with the format for you and you don't need to think about it. So, so there you go. That's that. You know, another one, John, um, we, we're, we're sort of running out of time here and I got to get to the airport, but, um, but one that drives me crazy that I wanted to, uh, we've had queued up for the last several shows and, uh, and we've run out of time. So I don't want to run out of time on this one is uh, Scott. Uh, quick question. He says, I was just looking around iMessage on my Mac with OS 10, uh, 10.9 Mavericks. And I saw under the buddies menu, there's a grayed out option to screen share. However, no matter what I do, the option remains grayed out. I can't even seem to be able to find out how to make someone a buddy. Yeah. So Guy Searle from the My Mac podcast and I were doing something and I was helping him with Audio Hijack Pro, actually. And I said, well, let's do screen sharing. And we, there we were typing on iMessage and same problem grayed out. It took us both of us probably 30 minutes of banging around until I finally thought, you know, this used to work even before iMessage when we just used AOL uh, messenger accounts inside iChat. Right. And uh, and then, of course, you know, the, the, the glorious day came when uh, when they added uh, iChat with tabs. Oh, that's weird. I'm not on my uh, check. I don't know. I thought we were on our. Uh, I thought we were. Hang on. We're going to do this. I chat with tabs. There's the echo we were looking for. Sorry. Uh, so we um, it was we went round and round. And then finally, I said, well, let's both log into our AOL instant messenger accounts inside the messages app. And sure enough, as soon as we did that, the screen sharing thing popped right up. So that is what you need to do. It does not work with all account types. And the iMessage account type does not support setting up a screen sharing connection. It should, but, uh, but it doesn't. So, so that's the magic little quick solution to that, uh, pesky issue. And, uh, I think we leave it at that, John. I think that's, uh, that's where, that's where all this comes from, right? No, I still got a pesky issue. What's your pesky issue? 
maybe someone can help me figure it out. So, as you recall, so I have Mac Mini running Mountain Lion. Yeah. And my MacBook Pro running Mavericks. I can no longer do a screen share. Seriously? From the MacBook Pro to the Mini. The Mini shows up in shared devices, which is great. Uh, if I click on it, one of the buttons that it shows is share screen. Yeah. And then I click on it and it just sits there and sits there and sits there. Huh. And I've had other people have gone on about this as well in the in the Apple forms. And it's nothing that I'm doing wrong. Of course. Of course. Well, as far as I can tell, it's nothing I'm doing wrong. So if I'm in sharing, um, screen sharing is clicked and it's on. And if I look at the firewall, um, you know, security and privacy firewall uh, advanced, I think. Is that where it is? Yeah. Let me look there. Last I checked, it's in the, it, yeah, and you click on advanced. And actually, there's a general tip here, so I thought I'd mention it. But it, no, I'm sorry. If you go to firewall options, you then get a list of things that can get through the firewall. Uh, and it shows screen sharing, and it says allow incoming connections. So I'm like, I don't get it, man. Huh. I thought it was being blocked. Now, I could turn off the firewall. Maybe that'll solve it. But it should get through. I mean, it's explicitly in this list. So, I, you know, I have file sharing, remote login, and screen sharing are all on this list there. And the other things work, last I checked. So, That's bizarre. with that. Huh. It, I mean, it totally, it, it, it works for me. So, it, it, it is, po- we know that it is possible to screen share from Mavericks to Mountain Lion and Mountain Lion to Mavericks. I do it all the time. Cause I'm still running mountain line on the iMac here that we podcast on. I have Mavericks on other machines and I do it back and forth. It, it works flawlessly. So um, do you have Apple? Not that this is the solution, uh, but do you have Apple remote desktop? Oh, well, let me look here. ARD agent is also in the list. Yeah, I think I do have ARD on here. Okay. Cause that, that would just, again, it both should work, but it would be interesting to me if ARD works and screen sharing doesn't, because sometimes they do use mildly different ways of making that happen. Like screen sharing will let you log into uh, a this is actually another great tip. Screen sharing will let you log into a user that's in the background. So let's say you and I both have accounts on on I'll use a real world example. Lisa and I both have accounts on this iMac. There are times when she's sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in here and working on this computer and seeing her stuff on this screen. But I want to get into my account to say, prep something for the show or check something. I can use screen sharing to log into this computer and it will give me two options. It'll say, do you want to share the screen with Lisa or do you want to just log into your account in the background? And I can do that. Doesn't impact her other than if I slow things down because I run some intensive task. But otherwise, it works just fine. So um, screen sharing lets you do that. The uh, the the remote desktop does not let me do that, which is interesting. I would also be curious, John, if you can connect via VNC to uh your mac uh, if you turn that on and if so then you know that that's yet another you know data point yeah i'll give my whirl all right cool i guess then that means it's time john time for what well time for me to uh see if my flight is still uh if there's any hope of my flight working uh, oh, you're going out of a local airport. You're not. You're not going to uh, Logan. No, but I think that today actually is to my advantage because Logan 
was getting snow. I'm, I'm flying out of Manchester, so mm. uh, Manchester got uh, the snow stopped there way earlier than it stopped here or elsewhere. But uh, I'm checking Flight Track Pro here, which is my favorite iOS app to use. And it looks like things are scheduled okay, but let's look at the flight boards, which I can do uh, here in Manchester. Outbound flights uh, are scheduled. There were some flights canceled earlier this morning. There are some delays late morning here. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think I might be all right. Arrivals coming in were canceled earlier this morning, but uh, but everything else looks like it's happening. So, uh, so I think I'm going to make it, John. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Hopefully I don't get stuck in Chicago tonight. Yes. What else we got, John? What do we got? I think we have an email address where you can write us, Dave, if you have questions, tips, comments. Cookies, hot cocoa. <laughs> and Dave, that email address is feedback at MacGeekab.com. Feedback at MacGeekab.com? No way. <sighs> way, brother. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. Well, that's just brilliant. Uh, also, if you're a premium member, you can email us at premium at MacGeekab.com. And of course, you can learn about that at MacGeekab.com. Mac- uh at macgeekgab.com uh, on the web. Uh, you can send us text there to any, either of those addresses. You can send us audio comments. You can send us screenshots. You can send us videos, whatever you like. Whatever makes things easier to explain, that's fine. Uh, but you can also call us, 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is... 4335. That's what but you wait, say. there's more. There um, is. And if you want to get more, a little more, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash MacGeekab, where you can often see when the next show will occur and also a notification when the lovingly handcrafted show notes are complete. Complete. Yeah. Twitter.com is where you can find John and I when we're not here doing the show. Uh, he is John F. Braun. I am Dave Hamilton. The show is uh, also on Twitter at MacGeekab. We publish things like when the show is happening, when the show has gone out, uh, all of that good stuff. And, of course, uh, Pilot Pete, who was here last week, is Pilot Pete on Twitter. And Mac Observer is Mac Observer with all the headlines from the site. Where else, John? Um, Hey, if you're uh, in iTunes and uh, you want to make a comment and rate our podcast and I say it's our podcast because it is ours it doesn't belong to me and Dave and Pilot Pete no it's ours collectively yeah absolutely yeah and if you send reviews then you can help grow our Mac Geek Gab family and it warms my heart whenever I go into iTunes and I see us in the list warm John's heart would you please You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. Again, we have little conversations there. Again, an extension of the uh, MacGeekGab community. And uh, and if you're interested, when we do the show, uh, that's at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. We put out a tweet. We put out a Facebook event ahead of time so that you know when that's coming. We put out a tweet when it's happening. We also put a push notification through our MacGeekGab app where you can listen right inside the app. 
So uh, check it all out. We do want to thank Michael Johnston. He took last week off as he was moving, but I believe this show he should get up by Saturday. So uh, so he will have been he will be the one converting this show to AAC and adding the chapters for you. And he does that all the time for all of us. So thank you, Michael. We appreciate it. Also, thanking the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. They have been our bandwidth partner for, I think, eight years now. Uh, I think it was it was just about this time um, eight years ago. It almost might be today. It was, it was very shortly after January 1st that, that year. But it uh, suffice to say they've, they've been a fantastic partner. And if you need bandwidth, uh, talk to Cashfly. They run a great content delivery network worldwide, global if you will. And I think they're thinking about putting some stuff up on the moon. No, I'm not, I don't think they are. But that would be cool. All right. Uh, also in the uh, podcast marketplace, we'd like to thank our sponsors. That includes BB Edit and Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Text Expander, and of course the entire PDF Pen family from Smile, Gazelle.com with all the stuff that they, uh, they buy back from all of us. It's nice to have people give us money. Squarespace.com. And uh, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast. Now, oh, Connected Data as well. Don't forget them. Filetransporter.com. John, you got any last lasting words of advice for, for, for the listeners? And also, you know, for me, I've got to go and, uh, and head into, you know, the, uh, the murky, the murky uh, world of traveling by air on a snow day. My advice to start the year off right, Dave, is... Don't get caught. Made up.